0: So we're in John chapter 18, we've uh, already had two messages from this chapter, the first dealing with Jesus coming before the Jewish authorities, Annas and Caiaphas, the second, um, I guess, well that was the second message, just let me get my place here and then I'll say something intelligent, Um, John chapter 18. Yes, we've seen Judas betraying Jesus in the garden. We saw grace and glory demonstrated in that garden. Um, we saw, in the next message, we saw different people and their standing in relation to Jesus. Peter, who um, stood not not with Jesus, but stood outside and warmed himself with the officials, and who actually denied. Jesus because he was afraid of men. Before that, Judas denied or betrayed Jesus because of his friendship with the world. We saw how the officials and the servants of the high priest, one of them actually struck Jesus in the face and opposed Jesus because of the fanaticism of his religion. So we were faced with this challenge of where do we stand with Jesus. Where do you stand with Jesus? Are you standing outside because of these factors? And if you are, if you are in separation from Jesus, on what basis will you approach him? On what basis will you come to him? And the answer to that is only by grace, only through repentance and faith. I neglected to mention last week that... uh, Peter was restored. I I did say that Peter was restored with a threefold uh, restoration, where Jesus asked him, "Peter, do you love me?" three times. In between there, Peter recognized his sin and Peter wept bitterly. So there was a a genuine grief over his sin, and the Lord did restore him. We also saw that um, John, being a very compliant disciple, or if you have children, you might have one child that is compliant and one child that is defiant. Well, John was a compliant child. He was always the one who was with Jesus. He was in uh, he was the in the innermost circle of the inner circle with Jesus, reclining on his bosom uh, in the tomb at the cross. G- uh, Jesus, John was the first one there. He was the one who went in to the court of Pilate or the court of Caiaphas where well Peter stood outside and yet both of these men both of these men were given the same mission John was given the mission to look after um, Jesus mother in and Jesus mother in representation of all who believe in Jesus and Peter was given the commission to feed the sheep so both of these Men, very different in temperament, both saved by grace. Well, today we encounter another situation and another person who must make a decision where he stands. Um, his name is Pilate. He is famous and he is infamous. He is famous for and infamous for his act of washing his hands and saying, I want no part of the death of this man. He's famous for vacillating back and forth. Uh, He's famous, really, for being the man that has the power to sentence Jesus to death and actually follows through on it, despite um, perhaps having misgivings about it. So we're going to see where Pilate stands with Jesus. The message today is entitled Truth or Consequences. Now back in the 70's there was a game show called Truth or Consequences and I I re- remember very little about that show other than it was hosted I think by Bob Barker and uh, if you if you picked the right answer the true answer you would get a reward if you chose an answer that was not true you would get, I don't know, slime dumped on you. Get, something would happen. Something really bad would happen. The biggest question that any of us have to answer in our lives is what is truth? If we know what is true and pursue that truth, everything in our life is affected by that belief and that trust in that truth the big question that Pilate asks at the end of this passage that we're about to read is what is truth now Pilate Pilate should not be asking that question in the context that he does because Pilate asks that question after looking truth in the eyes, after speaking to the one who is the truth, after having the one who is truth incarnate, who is the very word of God incarnate, explaining to him that his kingdom is not of this world and explaining to him that those who are in the truth listen to his voice. That is the context where Pilate asks the question, what is truth? In in essence, he's asking the question when he has just witnessed the answer. And he's refusing to receive the answer. So there is a consequence to how we address the matter of truth. Well, let's uh, begin reading here in John chapter 18. And we'll start at verse 28, and we'll read through to the end of the chapter. Then they led Jesus from the house... just want to make sure I'm recording this. Yes. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early in the morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled. But could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show what kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate entered the headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord? Or did others say this about, to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Or Pardon me, what have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. After he said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, not this man but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. All right, so you see truth is smack dab in the middle. Truth is the the theme of this whole Encounter. And there's all sorts of twisting and manipulation of truth. There's equivocation. People are doing everything to avoid the truth. And yet, in the middle of it, Jesus himself presents himself as the truth. He presents his kingdom as a kingdom that is based, that is composed of those who receive the truth. Let's begin now with uh, verse 28. And we'll see that Jesus' accusers, they have a per- particular and a very zealous motivation in bringing them before Pilate they have just spent the night in the courtyard of Caiaphas and they have actually spent this night waiting for the early morning when the Sanhedrin would arise when they would wake up and when they would be ready to do business according to Jewish law they could not even process um, offenses like this at night, they had to do it during the day so the rooster has crowed, Peter has denied Jesus in the courtyard the sun has risen it's early in the morning and there they are, they're bringing him now having the Sanhedrin having um, verified their complaint against Jesus, they are now (laughs) bringing him to the Roman authority to Pilate, now Pilate um, was kind of a, a slimy character. He, he was not noble in any sense of that word. He was uh, kind of a puppet official. He was trained by uh, a very prominent man. I think his name was Seneca. I may be wrong about that. But he was uh, specifically mentored by a great Roman leader. And the tradition was that as long as your mentor was alive... If the the person who was trained by him would share in his dignity and respect. But his mentor was no longer alive. So Pilate had this great burden upon him to somehow maintain his authority and to maintain his influence and to uh, cultivate an image of someone who had power. And so he was willing to do anything to cling to that uh, assumed authority. So that's a bit of a character sketch. They brought him to his headquarters. Pilate did not live in Jerusalem normally. He lived in Caesarea. But this headquarters in Jerusalem was a a palace or a place that was kept so that during the high feasts, the uh, Pilate, the governor, could come and he would be there in case anything bad happened during those feasts. And bad things did happen. There were, you know, uh, perhaps a million or more people descending upon that little city for the Passover, the highest of the high feasts. And there would always be some sort of disturbance. There were various sects of Judaism which would fight with each other. There were people stealing. There um, There were violations of temple protocol. There were all kinds of things. And so that's why he was in that place. Normally the Roman governors would steer clear of Jerusalem. They didn't understand the Jews. They didn't want anything to do with them. Um, and the Jews were a constant thorn in their side because they were so zealous about their laws. And they're one of the few people groups where the Romans actually made exceptions so that they could practice their laws. They were, because there was no way around it. These people were too zealous for their laws. Now notice a great irony here. They are bringing Jesus to Pilate with the intention of getting from Pilate a death sentence. They themselves did not enter the governor's quarters so that they would not be defiled but could eat the Passover. In other words, they're about to kill someone (coughs) whom they know very well they have no legitimate accusation against, and yet they're afraid of entering this Gentile's dwelling lest they be defiled and are kept from, from eating the Passover. The Jews, are taking extreme precautions in order to be able to eat the ceremonial Passover while manipulating the judicial system so that they can kill the true Passover. See, Jesus has already demonstrated publicly to himself that he is the light of the world, that he is The Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. That he is the true Passover. Uh, The Jewish officials, they probably don't really understand this. But the irony is great. They're so concerned with their ceremonial cleanliness. They're so concerned with being able to eat this ritual meal. That they're willing and zealous to kill the Son of God. I should note here that. In case you're wondering, because we already we know that Jesus has already eaten a Passover meal with his disciples, and now it seems that these Jews are very concerned after that that they would be able to eat the Passover. You need to understand that this the the word Passover also includes the feast of unleavened bread, which was a seven day feast, and they would have even had uh, part of that feast would have been that morning. Um, and so there was, you had to be ceremonial, pure, and able to participate in any part of this feast. Now, most of these, most offenses of uncleanness, all you had to do was take a bath at the end of the day and then you could, con- then you could continue to participate. There, there, were, there were great offenses and there were small offenses. It seems to me that going into Pilate's house would have been a great offense. It would have been something that uh, they would have been unclean for at least a week, and they would miss out on all of the rest of the Passover facilities. It was a common belief of the Jews, and this might be might be a, a reason that they they were so concerned about it. It was a common belief that the Romans would uh, they would they would cast and they would dispose of aborted fetuses under the pipes of the disposal system beneath their homes. One of the things that would defile you for a whole week would be to touch a dead body. And this was, their, this was possibly their reasonings um, that there was this kind of carnage going on in that house. In any case, they were, they were as Jesus would say, they were straining at a gnat, swallowing a camel. He talked. Jesus talked about them tithing mint and dill and cummin, but ignoring the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy. This is the attitude that these Pharisees, or pardon me, that these Jews have. So their motivation is very strong. First thing in the morning, as soon as the Sanhedrin is in session, they got him there, and then they bring him into Pilate's headquarters, even though they risk defilement by by going there. They they bring him there. Um, They are certainly zealous to put Jesus to death. So that's their motivation. Then they bring an accusation. That's their second point here in verse 29. And their accusation is about the lamest accusation that has ever been heard anywhere. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Now, what kind of accusation is that? Um, yeah, he's, he's, uh, he's a bad dude. He's done evil. If he wasn't doing evil, why would we have brought them to you? Now, there, th- this could be read as sarcasm, as disrespect for Pilate. It could certainly be read that way. But what I, what I think is, is happening here is there is somewhat of a prearranged arranged agreement already set in place remember that it's Roman soldiers that came to get Jesus that detachment that uh, that cohort of Roman soldiers would never have been sent without the governor knowing something of the charges so Pilate at this point he's wanting them to make their charges formal uh, their charges would have involved something of a political nature that Jesus, uh, is gathering an army as a king to carry out an insurrection and somehow try to overthrow the Roman government. That is almost certainly what has been communicated to Pilate. But the Jews, when, they're, when they are questioned about this, they are hesitant to actually say what the charges are. Perhaps because Jesus is standing there. Perhaps because he could completely refute their charges. Perhaps because they know that everything that he has said, as we looked at last week, has been said openly. He hasn't been trying to hide anything. And he has never spoken about overthrowing the Roman government. And at least in the Gospel of John, his kingdom has not been clearly emphasized, although you can see that in others. But the, the idea of, in any way, going against Caesar... Going against Rome, it is so far from anything Jesus has ever said that it would be laughable for them to even try to publicly bring that charge. They are assuming Pilate's ignorance. They are assuming that he won't really understand the, uh, the, uh, the ridiculousness of the charge they bring. So it's kind of like wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Pilate, you know what the charges are. You know that this guy, he's a threat to your power, to the Roman power. Um, so, you know, we wouldn't have brought him to you if there wasn't a problem. Just trust us. That's kind of the way they're approaching him. All right, so there's that accusation. You notice there's, there's nothing specific there at all. That, that <clears throat> accusation would be thrown out of any court of law. And yet, there is enough trouble stirred up already... There has been a detachment of guards sent. There has been uh, imperial resources used to arrest Jesus. Um, and Pilate will somehow have to justify all of this. So he is obligated to continue with the trial. So he, the next phase of what we see happening here in verse 31. There is a negotiation going on. And this is a negotiation over jurisdiction. Whose problem is Jesus? Jesus. Should the Romans be dealing with this or should the Jews be dealing with this? The Jews want the Romans to deal with it because they don't want to be tainted with the blood guilt of an innocent man. The Romans, they want the Jews to deal with it because they don't don't understand all the nuances and all the complexities of their law. They don't understand their blasphemy laws. So there's, a, there's this battle going on. So in verse 31, Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. This is, without a doubt, a statement of contempt for the manipulation that Pilate sees going on here. The Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. Now when they say it's not lawful, they're not speaking of their own law. They're speaking of the Roman law. There's a very interesting historical fact that actually people have thought that John has, was in error about this, but it turns out that he is exactly right. In uh, one of the volumes compiled by the Sanhedrin, there is a reference that says that Roman, um, Roman law, or that the, the capital punishment aspect of uh, putting people to death, that, that was taken away from the Jews 40 years before the destruction of the temple. Now the destruction of the temple happened in in 70 AD. 40 years before that would be 30 AD, which is exactly around the time that this is happening. So there was a time when Jews were allowed to put people to death um, for a violation of their own law. That time had passed. And according to this historical record, Capital punishment was the domain of the Romans. Now, people have argued against this as well. They said, well, um, Josephus, he gives account of people being put to death for entering the Jewish temple. If a a Gentile were to storm into the Jewish temple, he could be put to death. And the Romans wouldn't do anything about it. Well, that is actually the exception that that validates the rule. Because um, in that society, even in Roman society this idea of profaning a temple. If someone were to come in unworthily into a Roman temple, into their holy place, as it were, that person would also be put to death. So the Romans had no problem giving that prerogative to the Jews. But as far as anything that was outside of that temple jurisdiction, the Romans were the ones they had to go to. So the Jews' hands were tied. They could o- they could only execute Jesus Illegally. And I think perhaps they had already had in mind to do this by picking up stones and so on. But they also knew that they would, I think they already understood the power of Christ. They understood that for some reason, they couldn't manipulate their own laws to the extent that they could legitimately kill him. And so they appeal to the Roman authority. They say it's not lawful for us, anyone, us to put him to death. The next statement is incredibly telling. It says this was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken. To show uh, what kind of death. To show what kind of death he was going to die. Now we can't read these, the thoughts of these people who want Jesus executed. But what we have implied very strongly here is that the Jews who are bringing Jesus to Pilate, they want him crucified. They want him to receive the curse from the book of Deuteronomy that anyone who hangs on a tree is under the curse of God. To the Jews, hanging and crucifixion were the same thing. And they wanted Jesus to be publicly disgraced in this way. And they wanted him to be lifted up in order, or lifted up on a cross. And Jesus had said, "Jesus is fulfilling his own prophetic words." If you look in John chapter 12, verses 32 and 33, Jesus answered, um, "The voice came not for your sake, not for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out." Okay. Now now here's the key part. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. And then John throws into this commentary. He said this to show what kind of death he was going to die. So it is through the crucifixion of Jesus that he is going to draw all men to himself. In the minds of the Jews, the cruci- crucifixion of Jesus will make him a curse that will cause all people to turn away and run away. What they intend is a curse. God is intending God will use as the means of actually bringing people to faith. When they look on him as the people in the desert looked on the serpent for their healing. According to God's command. When they look on him and believe they will be saved. So anyway this, uh, this could only happen under Roman jurisdiction. Think about the timing of this. That. In 30 AD, capital punishment is taken from the Jews, given back to the Romans, just in time for the Romans to give the order that Jesus would be crucified so that he can properly fulfill the passages, the prophetic passages like Psalm 22 and Isaiah chapter 53 about Jesus being pierced. If Jesus were stoned or burned, as he could have been under Jewish law for blasphemy, he would not have fulfilled God's prophetic word. So this means of death, the crucifixion on the Roman cross, it had to happen. Alright. So we move now. We've seen the motivation of the Jews and we've seen their their, uh, their kind of trumped up a- accusation. We've seen them negotiate and basically put the ball in Pilate's court. Now, Pilate seeing no other way, he has to interrogate Jesus. So what you have here is Pilate moving back and forth. He is moving out and dealing with the Jews, then he's moving in and he's dealing with Jesus face to face. He is very much presented as a person who is caught in the middle. There is, he is the one who needs to decide very literally where he stands. And his decision carries much weight. So we move now to Pilate's interrogation of Jesus. Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus to him and said, Are you king of the Jews? So this is our first hint that we understand that there is a charge in the background already. There is, a, there is an implication that Jesus <coughs> is gathering together a force that is in some way Detrimental to the interests of Pilate and the interests of Rome. Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say this to you about me? What he's implying there is that he knows that this is the information that has been fed to Pilate by those people who are conspiring against him. Pilate answers, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priest have delivered you over to me. What have you done? The question is asked to discern... Um, sorry. When Pilate asks, am I a Jew? Of course he knows that he's not. It is, it, is a, it is an expression of contempt. He's saying, I don't understand you people. They brought me here. They want me to, to kill you. Um... The chief priests, your own nation, your chief priests have delivered me to you. Jesus, what's really going on here? Is there anything to this? Are you a king? Are you plotting an insurrection? And you, you kind of have to put yourself in that court. You've got Jesus bound. He's standing there. Um, he has... He has the chief priest, the whole religious intelligentsia of his people. They are, they are bringing him before them. Uh, there's a mob gathering outside, and they're becoming incredi- increasingly hostile. And it seems utterly incredulous to Pilate that he could be their king. Are you king of the Jews? Now, Jesus is going to answer the only way that he can answer. He's going to answer completely honestly. Because in reality, Jesus is king of the Jews. Jesus is Messiah. Jesus is the son of David. (coughs) Just as the children sang when he came into Jerusalem. Hosanna to the son of David. He is their king. And yet, the construction that has been placed on his kingship. And the way that this has been presented to Pilate. He is not that kind of a king. He has already demonstrated that his goal is not to take over by force because the one man who tries to resist his arresting officials, Peter, when he cuts off Malchus's ear, he is immediately stopped by Jesus and he said, shall I not drink the cup that is prepared for me? So Pilate is trying to find out what is behind their accusations. His question, what have you done, seems to be asking, what is really going on here? Now Jesus is about to answer and Jesus is about to reveal things to Pilate that give him an opportunity to further pursue and to ask questions just as Nicodemus did, as the woman at the well did. He is going to, bring in some spiritual language that should arouse curiosity that should that should prevent present an opportunity for Pilate to pursue any curiosity or any um, inclination that he might have to receive Jesus as who he is so Jesus is about to Um, demonstrate something that has been laid out for every believer to do, and that is to present the truth about Jesus to everyone. Not just to people we deem deserving, but even to this sleazy Roman governor. Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. By that he means, My kingdom doesn't originate from this world. The source of my kingdom isn't some sort of political might that's bestowed through, um, through succession or through, um, through insurrection or through war. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might be, not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. <coughs> Pilate says to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, now Jesus has as much admitted that he's a king, because he just said, I have my kingdom. But he he has shown Pilate in that very simple statement, my kingdom is not of this world, my kingdom is from somewhere else. It is completely different than what you're thinking. Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. In other words, Jesus is affirming that Pilate is correct. In his statement. For this purpose I was born. I was born to be a king. And for this purpose I have come into the world. (coughs) This is the nature of his kingdom. Listen. To bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth. Listens to my voice. So he, he has defined the nature of his kingdom. It is not of this world. It is a kingdom of truth. And the subjects of this kingdom are the people who listen to the truth. My job as king, my role as king is to bear witness to the truth. And the truth is the good news that Christ Jesus has come into the world as the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. Now he doesn't say all that to Pilate. But he says, everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. So you see, the condition of being part of Jesus' kingdom is that you belong to what is called the truth. Another way of saying that is those whom the Father (coughs) has given to the Son. Another way of saying that is those who are written down in the Lamb's Book of Life. Another way of saying that is the elect of God, those who belong to him. In other words, Pilate, if you're of the truth, you will listen to my voice. If you're of the truth, when you look into my eyes, you will see the wisdom of the ages. You will see the glory of God. You will see the word of God made flesh. If you truly listen to me, you will know who I am, and you will you will hear my voice. You will listen to my voice. Now, when Jesus says His kingdom is not of this world, it's really important to make this this um, this assertion. That does not mean that His kingdom is not active in this world. Christ's kingdom is incredibly active in this world. Christ's kingdom is that grain of mustard seed that is planted in the parable of Matthew chapter 13. And that mustard seed, that though it is the smallest seed, when it is planted, it grows and becomes bigger than any plant of the garden and its branches become so spread out that the birds of the air come and nest in them. The kingdom of God is expansive. It is always growing, it is multiplying on the earth. but it is not multiplying through carnal means. It is multiplying because people are believing and coming into the truth and hearing the voice of Jesus. They're coming out of sheep folds as it were out from all over the world and they're hearing the voice of the shepherd and they're coming out of their folds and they're coming into his folds and they're his fold and there is one fold, one shepherd. That is the kingdom of God. And it is continually advancing even now. We're not talking about the millennial kingdom. That's going to be a whole new dimension of Christ literally reigning on this earth. We're talking about the spiritual kingdom that of the people that Christ has purchased for himself. From every tribe and nation and tongue. So this kingdom, though it is not visible. Though it is not um, advancing and seizing physical territory, and and seizing wealth and seizing power, it is in it is always seizing. It is always growing, and more and more people are coming into this kingdom as the Father draws them. This kingdom does not spring from sin and selfishness, but from the very heart of God. my kingdom is not from the world. This is a heavenly kingdom. By the way, if you are a Christian, you are a citizen of that kingdom. This this country, you are just, you're an alien here. You're a sojourner here. This is not where you belong. This is not your true home. You know, the government of this country, it's it's, uh, we submit to its laws, but we know that even the government of this country is under the watchful eye of the King of kings and Lord of lords, and that even the kingdoms are going to be destroyed in the end if they do not submit to him. I want to read to you Jesus' own words about those who listen to his voice. When we read this in in John chapter 18 here, it says, "Everyone Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. But Jesus has already expanded this previously. Now, if you were to read through this text, just on its own, you might not get a really good understanding of the gospel. And yet this phrase is there so that we can go back and we can find it in its initial context and we can see what Jesus is saying. He says in John chapter 10, starting at verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves his sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. Now, listen to this. I know my own, and my own know me. There is this undeniable relationship between the shepherd and the sheep, or between the king and his subjects. Just as the father knows me, and I know the father, and I lay down my life for the sheep, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold, I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice. They won't listen to anyone else. They'll only listen to Jesus. And though they may go through an entire lifetime without hearing the voice of Jesus. When they hear it, they know it's true. When they hear. And when God gives them ears to hear. The good news that the shepherd has laid down his life for the sheep. The son of man has been lifted up as a curse. Bearing our sin, enduring the Father's wrath so that God's wrath can be turned away from us and that His righteousness, the righteousness of this perfect suffering servant is placed upon us so that through faith in this wonderful work of redemption, we can have eternal life. These are the people who listen. The voice of Jesus is expressed in the gospel. His sheep hear it. His sheep cannot help but hear it. Even here as it's proclaimed. I don't know every heart here. But as it is proclaimed. If you hear the voice of Jesus. And you understand. And you know. That he has died for your sin. And you trust in that. You will be saved. This week. I got a a text from a mom who said that her little boy had been asking some interesting questions. And he said, Mom, is Pastor Harley going to heaven because he preaches and because he's good? Well, I'm sure you all know the answer to that. There are plenty of people who preach it won't be in heaven. And if I were to claim that I could go to heaven because I'm good. I would most certainly not enter into heaven. It's only because I heard the shepherd's voice. It's only because I know that Jesus died in my place for my sin. And I trust in him. It's only because I know that I'm not good. And Jesus is. And in his goodness, in his perfection, he took my sin. And he gave me his goodness. That's how I can know. And that's how Jesus' sheep know that they're his. When Jesus calls you, and you know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and you trust in him, and you believe in him, And you belong to him and you will be with him in heaven. It's wonderful that our children are asking questions like this, by the way. Well, I was going to say that for the end, but let's uh, get back to our outline here. Pilate then expresses his frustration. He says to him, what is truth? What is truth? Jesus has as much as told him, I am the truth. My kingdom is truth. My kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is so far above and beyond this world that it makes this world look as nothing. Now, Pilate could have pursued further. Tell me more about this kingdom. I'm curious. But Pilate's interest is in the matter at hand, preserving his dignity in the face of the Jews that are clamoring for Jesus' life. He is confused because he's seeing all of this horrible, hateful behavior done in the name of God, and he doesn't know how to make any sense of it. And here's this humble man saying... My kingdom's not of this world. I'm no threat to you. And yet they're trying to kill me. I believe Jesus gave Pilate an opportunity to show where he stood. And he stood with preserving his own name. He stood with preserving his own authority. And he did not respond to the offer of grace that was right there before him. Finally, things escalated. This is the last point in verse uh, 38 and 39. After he said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. There was nothing worthy of the sentence that they were demanding. But you have a custom that I should release one man at the Passover. So do you want me to release the king of the Jews? Now he used that name despite them. They did not want him called the king of the Jews. They couldn't even say when they accused him that this man says he's the king of the Jews because th- that they they did want not want any part of this poor man who overthrew all of their teachings by telling them what the Bible actually said. They did not want him called their king. He was a threat to their whole way of life, to their whole establishment, to their religious um, their religious zeal and their fervor. He was turning it all upside down. And they didn't want him called the king, but Pilate says Pilate says to them, do you want me to release the king of the Jews? He cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Barabbas wasn't just a robber. You read in the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, maybe Luke. You read there that Barabbas, Barabbas pardon me, was a he was also guilty of insurrection. He had been the center of a plot to overthrow Roman power. Barabbas had also murdered in his his carrying out of this plot. So there was a man who was actually deserving of the charge that was being falsely applied against Jesus. The Jews knew of Barabbas' history. They knew he was a zealot. And zealots were the guys who would go outside of the law... And they would take great risks and they would uh, they would do, they were sort of like the jihadists of their day. They would do anything in their power to try to establish what they believed was a righteous end. And so they're willing that this terrorist be released who is actually a real threat against, or who actually has campaigned against the Romans whom they hate. They're They're wanting him to be released instead of the man who has done nothing to deserve that death. Of course, you know that their central charge is that Jesus had said, I am. That Jesus had claimed his own deity. That he had claimed to be the son of God. And they were not prepared to receive Even with all his miracles, even with all his teaching, even with the incredible demonstration when he said, I am in the garden and all of the guards and all of the soldiers fell backwards. Even with all of this, they did not receive him as the son of God. Well, I've mentioned in the past here that Jesus made some great I am statements. I am the door. I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. I am, the, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. I am. Jesus said all of these things. But I want to take you back to, to this comment by, the, by a child about my worthiness for salvation. And I want to make for you some I am statements. If it's just me, if it's just my flesh, if it's just my ability, I am Pilate. I am Peter denying Jesus. I am Judas betraying Jesus. I am the nails pounded into his wrist. I am the crown of thorns piercing His brow. I am the spear piercing His sight. I am the enemy of Christ in my own nature. But through grace, because Jesus died for my sin and because I trust in Him, I am a new creature in Christ. I am seated in the heavenly places with Christ I am a sinner saved by grace I am accepted in the beloved I am a son of God and you see this is this is the dilemma that was before Pilate To come into the truth, to receive Jesus as truth, to believe him, would have erased and would have taken away all of the guilt. Would have erased and taken away as far as the east is from the west, all of the Roman debauchery that was part of life in that day. And would have made him a new creature in Christ. Pilate was presented with truth, with the voice of Jesus. But Pilate did not recognize the voice of Jesus. Now, how many boys and girls we still got here? Boys and girls, if you're listening to me, I want to tell you how you can know, how you can know that you will be with Jesus in heaven. Jesus calls his sheep and the way you recognize the voice of Jesus the voice of Jesus will show you your sin and he will show you how bad you are he will show you all of those bad thoughts in your head those evil thoughts I had my, my grandson Judah he talked to me the other day he said grandpa my head keeps telling me bad things. And I want to believe in Jesus, but my head says, don't. You've got that battle going on. Even little ones, that battle is going on. But When you believe Jesus, when you know, and Jesus shows you in your heart that he died for your sin, and you trust in him to take away your sin. That's how you know that you belong to him. Because that means you hear his voice. Adults, it's no different for us. We can know all the facts of the gospel. We can know that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. But when the voice of God through the gospel, impresses upon you that Christ died for your sin according to the scriptures. When When you understand that you are firmly in the category of sinner and that Jesus is firmly in the category of Savior and you trust him and him alone and you turn from your sin, turn to him, you're saved. And those bad thoughts, those evil thoughts that your head keeps telling you, When you become one of Jesus' children, when when you listen to his voice, you don't have to listen to those bad thoughts anymore. You can choose not to believe them, and you can choose continually to trust in Jesus. All right. Let's pray. Father, I thank you Lord, I thank you that you redeem sinners. I thank you that your gospel is intended to be brought to all without distinction. And yet your grace is reserved for those who are in the truth, for those who recognize your voice when they hear it. Thank you that the, the gospel of Jesus Christ is a power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. And I pray that as we believe this, as we believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, as we believe that he was lifted up for us to die, that, that the reality of this truth will transform our lives, our thinking. Lord, that we would not be ashamed of the gospel even though many reject, even though many would cry for Barabbas, even though many would free a murderer before they would free the Messiah. Lord, that there are some who will believe. And this is your doing, not ours. So give us courage because we do know what truth is. We don't need to ask the question, what is truth? Because we are in the truth. And help us to live in the truth. In Jesus' name, amen.